if you want to improve things in the Middle East, you need to form alliances with people who are opposed to this form of extremism. And using a generic term like Islamic that lumps them all together is a, a good way to alienate the very people that you want to get on your side. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryants, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, periodically we talk about on the podcast these commonly confused phrases that people use in a mixed up kind of way. I have a whole slew of them that fall into the category of politically correct speech. And we've talked about politically correct speech before on the podcast. What did we have to say about politically correct speech? What was the origins of that? Well, I was talking about the idea of correct interpretations of things being uh, very much a communist idea um, associated with Stalinism and Maoism originally, but how it got watered down into um, meaning inoffensive and in a situation where there are already some tensions. Um, so often there's a lot of dispute involving speech where there are strong feelings on one side or another. And most often the term politically correct will be used by the people who do not want to follow the so-called politically correct rules. And this is uh, actually the Donald Trump made a feature of his acceptance speech at the uh, Republican convention that, you know, it's to enter into an age when we can do away with political correctness, by which it means the right to use terms that people find insulting mm -hmm. um, about them and uh, not be blamed for it. And uh, it's just, it's, it's uh, a way of hiding out what you're really doing, which is deliberately <laughs> insulting somebody. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't usually come up when it's just an accidental slip that somebody uses. And this often comes into use when it's related to uh, a person's religion or a person's way of life, something to do with their personal creed. Their ethnic identity, their sexuality. Ethnic identity, sexual identity, and so on. Um, in the book, you have an instructive set of these uh Let's start with the phrases Jew and Hebrew. Um, now, we're talking about trying to be sensitive when we're addressing or discussing certain populations. So what about Jew and Hebrew? Right. First thing to notice is that technically Jew and Hebrew are both nouns, but Hebrew can be an adjective as well. Right. Yeah. The Hebrew children. and Right. So uh, in religion, if you want to look at the distinction, uh, it's good to know the background from the Bible. So in the earlier portions of the Bible, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah are referred to as Hebrews. And eventually there evolved this system of 12 tribes. They don't seem to have always been the same 12. There's some fluidity in the accounts. And collectively, those group of people are called Hebrews. So if you're dealing with biblical subjects in the period before the Babylonian captivity, then Hebrew is an appropriate term. 
But in the sixth century, um, first the Assyrians uh, took the majority of the Hebrews into captivity, and then the Babylonians finished off the process. Uh, a fragment or a remainder of those were returned to Judea, what is now called Judea, or politically is called Israel. And um, they took their name from the name of the tribe Judah. Uh, and so that's where the word comes from. So it's one, originally stood for one portion of the Hebrews, but the other Hebrews are assumed to have converted to Zoroastrianism or whatever prominent faith was, um, have become blended with that population and lost from history. That's what they called it sometimes, the lost tribes of Israel. Uh, lost so much as they just stopped being Jews. Uh, there was a distinction uh, for a while in the kingdom because there was Judah and Israel. And the uh, natives of Israel could be referred to as Israelites, but that's another whole term. I won't get into that. So technically, it's only appropriate to use the word Jew for um, people from the 6th century on. And modern Jews don't usually refer to themselves as Hebrews. Um, the language, however, of Hebrew, which was the language that the Jewish scriptures were written in, what Christians call the Old Testament, is an extraordinary in its uniqueness of having been the only ancient, more or less dead language, which was revived and became commonly spoken. I mean, it was read by Jewish scholars as a written text and recited in prayers and so on, but not used for ordinary conversation and business purposes and so on. And in Israel, they managed to revive and expand Hebrew. So Hebrew as a language is very important. It's the language of modern Jews living in the state of Israel. So you've got all those terms uh, together. There was a tradition in older writing, particularly I think in the 19th century, of uh, sort of condescendingly and jokingly with a little edge of insult calling uh, a Jew a Hebrew, like uh, I took my watch down to the Hebrew pawnbroker. And that's not something that a Jew would write, but it's something that very is very much outsider language. The language in Israel spoken today is called modern Hebrew. Um, some people um, debate about when is a Jew not a Jew. Um, if you're of the Jewish faith, as you're born into it, and technically it's got to be through your mother, according to Orthodox belief, then you would be a Jew. And sometimes uh, some Jews are reluctant to refer to people who have converted to Judaism as Jews. And it depends on that. These are very um, complex issues. And so um, usually it's not a problem to refer to a person as a Jew. Sometimes people get nervous about it and think that somehow a Jew could be insulting. And it is as a verb. There used to be a, an expression, which I have heard recently, um, when you're trying to bargain somebody down to a lower price, you're trying to Jew them down. And that definitely is an insulting stereotype. But that leads some people to think that just calling someone a Jew is in itself an insult. But there's an odd twist to this. If you're using it as an adjective, then it's Jewish. So... Um, there was a, a Jewish postmaster in our town. 
if you called him the Jew postmaster, that would be probably uttered by somebody bigoted who was against Jews. It's an odd sort of a thing. However, if you say the postmaster was a Jew, there's nothing insulting whatsoever about it. And there's also an element of, you know, calling out a person's religion or ethnicity uh, when you're referring to the postmaster. The important thing is that the postmaster, you don't say, well, my Christian postmaster, <laughs> or, you know, uh, even referring to the ethnicity or the religious faith at all is can be a little weird. And that in itself is a little condescending. Well, yeah. But also where it's appropriate to refer to somebody's religion, like uh, if you were going to say, that's a Jew holiday, I don't celebrate it, you would sound like a horrible bigot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be a Jewish holiday. Mm -hmm. And it's not based on logic. It's based on tradition. It's the people who tended to use Jew in that sense um, meant to be insulting. Mm Mm-hmm. And the word Hebrew as an adjective is much more referring to historical periods. So uh, all of these religious hymns or songs that talk about the Hebrew children or this sort of thing. Yeah, but you could also talk about a Hebrew text Uh, translated into English. Yeah, but in contemporary modern Israel, uh, generally Hebrew refers to the language and you wouldn't be using it as an adjective. It'd be Jewish. Yes. And then there's another odd spelling that I used to run into every once in a while in student writing, which is just sloppy typing, I think, which is Hebrew, H-E-W-B-R-E-W, rough hewn drink of some kind, I guess. (laughs) I don't know whether people think that's really a word or whether it's just uh, bad typing as the two E-Ws in a row are just kind of irresistible. And that's one their spelling catcher should definitely catch, and don't ignore it when it tells you that's not the right word. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Okay, well, uh, since we're treading in waters that are get a little dicey. Dicey water, huh? Yeah, well, waters don't get dicey. <laughs> that sounds like ice cubes to me. <laughs> as long as we're mixing metaphors here. Well, okay, we are wading in waters that can be, oh, a little perilous, let's say. Uh, I I have another one here. It's a Chicano, Latino, and Hispanic. Boy, it's easy to get in the wrong with this because the people who are affected often have very strong opinions about it, and people who are trying to be sensitive often get off on the wrong foot, and it's difficult. The easiest one to understand is Chicano. Chicano is an American-Mexican expression in English. It's not a Spanish word, not a Mexican word. And it means Mexican-American. Somebody of Mexican origin living in America could have been born in Mexico, could have been born in this country, as long as they still identify as somebody of Mexican origins, uh, ancestry. So that's Chicano. And it started, it was a very slangy, kind of a loose term now. Now it's been more formal. Um, But some people who are called Chicanos, don't really like it. It's it's good to know your audience if you're going to call people Chicanos. So Hispanic is the really general one uh, that is usually not uh, offensive. It can include people with a Spanish background is from Spain as well as Latin American. And some Latin American people object to it on that grounds because Hispanic, well, And especially if you're proud of your Aztec or Mayan ancestry, um, 
he might not want to have the Spanish part be emphasized, uh, though often it is. Um, and Latino, well, Latin uh, can refer to a whole series of Latin languages, um, Portuguese and Spanish being the most common, but usually when Latino is used in this country, it means having to do somebody with a Latin American background, not including necessarily the Brazilians. Mm-hmm. And uh, in our grocery stores, I noticed we used to have uh, Mexican food. Yeah. And now we have Latin American food. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that was an element of political correctness there or what it was, but uh, some of the spicy foods I noticed come from Guatemala and Honduras or sure. other countries, not Mexico. The big mistake would be to call a Cuban, for instance, a Chicano, a uh-huh. Cuban-American. Sure. That would really annoy him. Right, right, exactly. Latino and Hispanic are less likely to really annoy somebody, but Chicano is pretty narrow. Mm-hmm. Interesting, okay. All right, well, what about these words? Uh, I have... Oriental and Asian. Yeah. Sometimes words get bad connotations, not because there's anything inherently wrong with them, but just because of the period in which they occurred. And Oriental is one of those. Oriental means Eastern. The Orient is the East. And so uh, this is invented by Europeans who are looking over their shoulders back to the Middle East and the Far East. Um, and they use the term oriental. When you talk about orientalism as a phenomenon in art and literature, often it's Arabic. Yes. It could be North African, not all that far east. And of course, for those of us who are living on the West Coast, all of that is the far west rather than the far east, but we don't usually think of it that way. So people were called orientals and there was oriental art and um, oriental foods and so on and that came to be seen as not desirable and so the people concerned started to prefer Asian and you sometimes will run into generational conflicts where the son says dad stop calling yourself an oriental because that's an old fashioned term and the dad can't see anything wrong with it because that's what he grew up with and, you know, it doesn't have any terribly awful connotations. Asian just refers to um, Asia, which is yeah. in the east from Europe. Uh, so they're both pretty neutral. But it's good to know that sophisticated people who are trying to be sensitive normally use the term Asian now rather than Oriental. And uh, then beyond that, uh, you got to be careful of just calling somebody an Asian. Um, if you're talking about a specific person whose background is a specific country, because uh, Thais and Laos and Koreans and Chinese and Japanese don't necessarily all appreciate being lumped together. When people say, um, you know, I love Asian food, well, does that mean you love Thai food or Indian food or Chinese stir fries? Those can be very, very different things. They're not all the same. So it's worth finding out when you're talking about somebody, what is actually their historic connection, if that's important to identify, and refer to them as 
um, somebody who is Sri Lankan, for instance, rather than just Asian. Which brings me to the expression, Asian often is understood by people who use it and hear it to refer only to East Asia, that is China, Japan, Korea, Southeast, and then Southeast Asia. A lot of people know where Southeast Asia is because of the Vietnam War, and so Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. Um, but this irritates people from South Asia and Central Asia. Uh, South Asia is uh, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, a few other states. Uh, that's South Asia. And South Asians use, use that term all the time. And it's very much like the term North American that includes both Canada and the United States. And when they hear people saying Asian, but not including them, as if that was just the general term, they get upset by it. So they'd like to be singled out as South Asian and preferably as specifically Sri Lankan, say. And then there's Central Asia. Um, some people know the musical piece in the steppes of Central Asia. Um, that is the uh, countries on the old Silk Route between China and the uh, Middle East. And uh, they don't pop up in the news that often, but that Central Asia is actually part of Afghanistan. Be a classic example, although we don't use Central Asian much to refer to them because we use the name of the country. But there are all those different varieties of Asian. So just know what you're talking about. Yeah, and speaking to Orientalism especially, uh, you can also remember that uh, Edward Said was the sort of the go-to scholar of Orientalism. And that's a very recent phenomenon. Right. He was a Palestinian. He was a Palestinian. He did not. And if you look at his writings on Orientalism, it has almost nothing to do with the Far East. It's almost all North African and Middle Eastern. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it hasn't entirely fallen away, the concept of Orientalism and being an Orientalist. Yeah, but it was used as a label for something bad. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Orientalism is a way of uh, thinking about that area of the world as exotic, sexy, you know, different, the other, as people like to say. Um, so Oriental designs and Oriental music and Oriental dancing and all that sort of thing would be sort of patronizing and seeing things as very exotic. Right, which was a, sort of the point of his scholarship, but uh, a useful term for him to call his famous book, Orientalism. Interestingly, I was once in Paris uh, visiting the Musée du Monde Arabe, the Museum of the Arabic World, which is near Notre Dame, but doesn't get nearly as many visitors. I recommend it highly, not only because the architecture and the displays are really interesting, but up on the roof, you get a terrific view of Notre Dame from the air. Uh, it's just stunning. I took a photograph up there. Uh, so maybe we'll put it up, a link to it on the website. But... Um, the air exhibit was on Orientalism, and it was paintings of, by mostly 19th century artists of harems and uh, desert encampments and, and sheiks in their garb and all that sort of thing, or sheiks. And um, they also included Tintin, the, or Tintin, as people call him here, um, the Belgian adventure hero and the comics. Um, who had quite a bit of Orientalism. And the interesting thing about it was, that although this was 
an exhibit put on by people who are trying to promote understanding of the Arab world it wasn't very political. They just sort of thought it was kind of charming and uh, not a lot of commentary on what was wrong with it. It was just saying, well, look, there's this phenomenon out there. By the way, um, while I've got it in mind, I've read for years and subscribed to Aramco World, which is an interesting magazine, comes out monthly. They also have an elaborate website. You can read it online. Uh, now, Aramco comes from the Arab American Oil yes. Corporation, and it got taken over entirely by the Saudis or eventually. And so they kept the name, even though the M part is kind of gone. Um, but Aramco World is a sort of it's not exactly propaganda, but what they do is try to find interesting, colorful, enjoyable things to write about. Uh, and do pictures of it. Looks a lot like National Geographic, actually, although much smaller. And uh, they're often interesting. They often have uh, food things. They'll go out and explore a particular spice and where it's used and how it's ground, and uh, interview people who who work in the trade. Or they do a lot of history, uh, famous scientists from the past who are Arabic and so on. Um, they'll single out uh, leaders in the non-Arab world, like uh, somebody gets elected to political office who's uh, Muslim. Um, so it's interesting. And most of the time, they simply pretend that all the strife in the Middle East and uh, extremism just doesn't exist. It's just <laughs> in Bambi, Thumper's mother has told him, if you can't seem nice, don't say anything at all. And it's sort of like that. Um, after 9-11, they briefly uh, acknowledged, okay, this is really bad and we do not agree with this, but they don't get into politics at all. So you can see it as propaganda and biased and all that. But it's so interesting because almost all the authors are non-Arabs. They're usually Western scholars and um, they talk about music and, and so on. So it's not something that's really trying to convince you that uh, current regimes are correct in their policies or anything. It's just saying there's a lot else going on in the Arab world than what you read in the newspapers. Let me tell you about some of the more interesting things. And um, I enjoy reading it. It's free. Sign up for it. And they just send it to you free. You have to renew your subscription every year. Well, the next items on our list are Arab, Arabic, and Arabian. So direct tie-in. Yeah. Okay, these get confused a lot. So Arabs are a people whose place of ethnic origin is the Arabian Peninsula. And most of the peninsula is taken up today by Saudi Arabia. But that means that the Arabia that is ruled over by the Saud family. And uh, interestingly, in the press, the people get called the Saudis. The government is often called the Saudis. And uh, so it, it gets very confusing for people in the West. And of course, there's a, a whole bunch of little states like Bahrain that are on the peninsula too. Um, the Arabs spread quite widely in the Middle Ages and wound up in places as far flung as North Africa and Spain and into Central Europe. So um, people who identify themselves ethnically as Arabic um, will usually tell you they know whether they're Arabs or not. But not all Muslims are Arabs. In fact, the majority of the world's Muslims are not Arabs. Iranians, for instance, 
are not Arabs. Turks are not Arabs. And Malaysians and um, Indonesians are not Arabs. And if you lump all those together and you get the majority of the world's Muslims, they're not Arabs. So you can't just identify the two as being the same with each other. Arabic is usually an adjective, Arabic uh, patterns of speech, Arabic art, Arabic food. Um, but it's also used in a few traditional phrases. There's something called gum Arabic. And of course, in math, we have Arabic numerals, which annoys the Indians no end because the numbers came from India originally, <laughs> but called Arabic because that's where the Europeans learned them mm -hmm. from. In these few phrases, gum Arabic and Arabic numerals, they don't capitalize Arabic, but otherwise it is. But most of the time, the adjective is just a noun adjective. It's Arab, Arab customs, Arab groups, Arab countries, and so on. A group of Arab individuals is made of Arabs, not Arabics, and not Arabians. Now, an Arabian could have been used maybe in the 19th century of somebody who lived in the country that was known as Arabia, but it's Saudi Arabia now, so they're usually Saudis. Um, the, the noun Arabian by itself if you just use it, um, I saw an Arabian uh, next door, it would almost certainly mean a racehorse mm -hmm. or a horse of the kind. Most great racehorses are derived in their line from uh, Arabians, Arabian sources. The other main use of the word Arabian is in the collection of stories known as the Arabian Nights, which is more traditionally known as the Thousand Nights and a Night or Thousand and One Nights. Um, it's not a thousand and one stories, by the way. <laughs> a lot of the stories get chopped up into numerous nights. And if um, Scheherazade really kept uh, the guy she was talking to, telling these stories to up all night, telling some of these stories, she must have been a very slow talker because <laughs> the nights are quite short. Huh? <laughs> yes, right, right. So Saudi Arabian refers only to the country of Saudi Arabia. And... Um, and as I say, if you say Saudi, mostly people will understand that to mean the members of the royal Saud family and therefore the government rather than people generally. And Muslims are not Islams. <laughs> that's another one. Oh, that's another one. Also from the book. Yeah, yeah. right. Because uh, Islam is the religion. The Muslim is the believer in Islam. Mm -hmm. So they're not Islams. Um, there's a whole game that's going on in politics now where conservatives are criticizing Obama and other Democrats for being afraid to say Islamic terrorism. And uh, the problem with that term Islamic terrorism is that it identifies the religion with the terrorism. And the vast majority of Muslims do not believe in terrorism and are peaceful and detested. And in fact, most of the victims of groups like ISIS are Muslims, a vast majority of the people who have been killed and terrorized mm -hmm. by those groups are Muslims. And so it's what you're doing is cutting yourself off from potential allies who are very, very important. It's, it's often um, Obama and 
Clinton have both made this point. If you want to improve things in the Middle East, you need to form alliances with people who are opposed to this form of extremism. And using a generic term like Islamic that lumps them all together is a, a good way to alienate the very people that you want to get on your side. Well, I think it's also an attempt to identify the word terrorism with Islam so that if there is an act of terrorism that could properly be called an act of terrorism, such as a, an abortion clinic bombing or uh, a random shooting uh, in a crowd, in a school, uh, these would properly be called acts of terrorism. But the term is often avoided in the media, and uh, this attempt to tie the word Islamic in front of the word terrorism is an attempt to identify only those acts that are committed by ISIS or such other fanatical groups as those are terrorism. And these other things we see are that's criminal activity or those are other social problems. They're not actually terrorism. This came up during um, the uh, Oklahoma City bombing where the terrorist involved was not Muslim at all, but uh, people immediately suspected Muslims and some were even arrested. Uh, and that kind of blurring the lines is what sensitizes Muslims quite rightly to not wanting to like the term Islamic terrorism. And the uh, conservatives that prefer that term are well aware of what the problem is for people who are trying to make a distinction, but they find it a tricky rhetorical ploy to try to narrow people down and say, well, you're not really against these people unless you say the magic word Islamic in front of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Whereas if there's a fundamentalist Christian that shoots up an abortion clinic, then you're not calling him a terrorist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This led me to another thought. Um, in recent coverage over um, the shootings of police officers, there had, was a long standing going back, oh, I can remember as early as the 50s, complaints from African-Americans about identifying suspects to a crime as black uh, or as Negro back in that day. And uh, they were urging people to say, don't make that the main identifier. This guy's a murderer. He's a criminal. Um but you put black right in front of it, then it identifies it together too much. And that's become the pattern pretty much in journalism, that they uh, usually avoid ethnic labels when they're talking about criminals or suspects. The problem comes when the ethnic identity of the shooter becomes the real meat of the story. And in the case of black shooters shooting white policemen, they went through all kinds of contortions to talk about how white policemen were targeted, the shooter died, his name is so-and-so, and many and most of the journalistic accounts avoided identifying the shooter as black. And sometimes it only comes out when they print a photograph. And again, the text won't say anything about it. Um, and that strikes me as bending over backwards. Uh, that if it is definitely a racial issue, if it's somebody who identifies as black, who's shooting white police officers because they're white, because they've been shooting blacks, it strikes me as poor journalism to dance all around the issue and, and not identify the shooter as black. So I would say there's a case of political correctness gone overboard, but there's no reason to identify every black criminal as black if the actual encounter it doesn't have to do with race 
Um, one other problem is the pronunciation of Arab. Uh, there is a old-fashioned sort of low-class pronunciation, Arab. Uh, in fact, one of the characters in West Side Story, one of the gangs, has got a nickname of Arab. Um, so it's Arab, not Arab, but Arab. I believe we're getting to the point where that is not happening with the frequency that it may be used to as a slur. However, almost everybody in the military and on the right wing still says Iraq instead of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, these can identify you as not sophisticated, so you don't want to be in that crowd. Right. Okay, well, Paul, this has been a very interesting conversation, and... Um, We'll continue talking about some other terms that are commonly confused and misused in other podcasts, but I wanted to do a detour from some of those that we have talked about in the past and just isolate these ones that are particularly related to political correctness and uh, the ones that can get you into trouble. It's always good to know which ones are the preferred terms, uh, and those do change over time. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Okay, talk to you soon. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.